Yo, welcome back to Who Let the Dogs Out, a podcast where I chat life with cool people doing awesome things. Today, you'll hear from Emily Lowry, she, hers, who we first met through working together at a startup called Conversa. You'll hear her talking a little bit today about life as a new parent and finding a new job, successful teens, sussing out culture through smart questions, Stanford to Nickelodeon, languages, curious creators, and YouTube rabbit holes. Hope you enjoy. It is so nice to see your face. It's in a hot second. Good to see you as well. Same home? Yeah. I am. I'm at my house. My more than one child, because when we last yep. chit-chatted, I only had the one. Both my children are in daycare right now. And our dog is downstairs with my husband while he works. I'm Amazing. sorry. It's like a little cluttered. It's a little crazy over here. No, um, I like no your... apologies needed. <laughs> I like your gray. I think your gray is very dashing. <laughs> this is the office, actually. I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Wow. A your rotational program where I'm moving every six months. So I spent my first vacation in a mix of New Jersey and England, which are like the respective armpits of US and Europe, some would say. <laughs> so this has been quite the upgrade being in Brazil. But yeah, I'm loving it here. And this is like a little office pod. So it works. <laughs> I love the office pod. I also so happy to hear that you're doing that. That also just feels very in line when you and I were working together and <laughs> you were like, greetings from, and it was just always some completely wonderful, <laughs> magical place that you were able to work from, which I feel like if anyone could prove the proof of remote work, it's you. And so I'm <laughs> really excited. That's awesome that you're in Brazil. That's yeah. Cool. You are made the perfect team to make it work with that too. Not everyone is so open to that idea. So yes, I look back yeah, I know. fondly on those times. <laughs> Honestly, me too. It's funny. I went over to Meta after we worked together and I was hired as a remote worker and it was really great. And for the year and a half that I was there, it was really cool. I was a remote manager, which I think is a hard thing to do, yeah. but it was really fun. My team was excited to have that and we were all really fulfilled, but a lot of changes wound up. I think also I'm not an engineer. I came over in design and so it was really, I think, easier to go and have to form really strong connections and still be able to do your work individually and then come back and like align and all these wonderful ways of meeting. Um, but ultimately I was part of the mass layoffs because yeah. the leadership there was like, we do and we don't believe in remote work. I think that it's hard when you are a company that is so big and is trying to make everything as streamlined as possible. Onboarding is not necessarily a very streamlinable thing. We try to make it that way, but arguably I think you could do it remotely not yeah. everyone else agrees <laughs> but yeah fine. yeah I'm fine. sorry to hear Emily that's oh uh, thanks but I think your point about is some teams be able to come together I think it speaks a lot to the manager and the leadership if yeah. the leader isn't great the team probably isn't great so <laughs> I think kudos to you for saying it's, it's easier probably because you're one of the better ones that's why oh thank you is there more Sorry. peace around the house now that the kids are a little bit older I think that there will always be this lovely just sea of chaos because yeah my daughter she just turned three and I'm one of the fun things by the way just like in like the social media world of parenting is that all of the lovely cliches of up. Oh, you went from the terrible twos to a three-nager. All of these little <laughs> things are just being bombarded at you all the time. And you're like, yeah, it's true. And then occasionally you're like, oh no, that one's me. Oh no, that one's her. There's 
this funny thing going on, but she's, I think as she, one was really hard because she really didn't have a lot of words. And three is really hard because she has her words and she's this (laughs) like smart little cookie who has really strong opinions and really wants to do worlds. And she's figuring out how the world works. And you just have a tremendous amount of emotion around that. And then he's (laughs) nine months old and nine months is like, everything is still new. And he's, he, popped a tooth and that was the most exciting thing to happen this week and he never sleeps and of course he doesn't so I think that there's just this steady soup of all of that in the world and I found that the context switching from work to not work is refreshing Mm -hmm. but it also can be a challenge I think the nice thing about them being in daycare is that there is a moment where I can really focus on my attention and it's not necessarily on just parenting but it allows me to actually like compartmentalize that work for me work-life balance is a series of Tetris pieces it's not necessarily it all meshed together where I think other people maybe like the like when it's all interconnected but I really value some of that division I value some of those boundaries so there that's interesting how do your days look like nowadays how does that evolve from a Monday to Friday does it feel like a Monday to Friday or what's your headspace so it's yeah I think right now, especially because daycare is a weekday only thing. My, the weekends are very hard. The weekends are like, everyone's home. So all, you know, the kids need a lot of things at the same time. Our dog needs a lot. He's he's not even 18 months old because you know, the smartest thing to do when you're about to have a child is to get a puppy (laughs) just in case you want her. Sane, reasonable people get puppies (laughs) <laughs> before they have a second child that's just the smart thing to do it's what we all do now it's the cool thing my husband has he also really wanted this dog because he is very involved he really likes hunting and fishing and outdoor outdoorsy things and outdoor hobbies and um our dog is a hunting dog and so he's out there wow. he's helping train the dog and because he has a full-time job some of that's happening on the weekends. so our weekends are a little bit chaotic juggling what the kids needs are making sure everybody's getting outside, making sure we're all like doing what we need to do and all together and making sure the kids aren't killing each other, all that kind of fun stuff. Everyone's self-preservation modes are on. And then Monday's recovery. And this particular window of time is funny because Monday through Friday for me, we bring the kids to daycare, we come home. And then maybe one day is the day of like food prep. Let's just get food going so that we're like managing a house. And then, but it's always going to be, I think, submerged in some of the job search stuff. Because I think until I'm back into my full-time job, it's going to be going to have that kind of murkiness. But it was such a funny time to be laid off because I was like just back from parental leave. Mm -hmm. And I was so hungry for adult conversation. And I was so (laughs) ready. I was so energized. and like, I am going to crush this year. And they're like, oh, can you crush it kids for a few more months so I feel like my next company is going to get like a thirsty hungry totally intense maybe that's not a great thing uh, version (laughs) of me because I'm just so excited to talk work and to solve problems that aren't necessarily kid related or even if they're kid related they're not diaper related and feeding and oh (laughs) are you able to have a solid food are you oh that's a really big emotion are you do you want to just take a deep breath sweetie should we read a book just the trials of new parenting versus the trials of yep. trying to solve the world's problems via fill in the blank are they're a little different. Yes. They're a little different. They're nice to have to get to do both, I think. 
Yeah, that's a wild contrast. What do you think you're looking for out of your next role? How do you think that's contrasted to the Emily I knew back in Conversa? Oh, man. No, I don't know. I think I really loved the work that we were doing together in Conversa. There was something really lovely about the problems we were trying to solve. And a lot of the time, because it was healthcare, it feels like the stakes were always really high. One of the things I've been definitely self-reflective on is I went from television where it was like, there's a lot of money involved, but like no one dies on the table to (laughs) healthcare tech where you're like, oh my goodness, like people need this because their actual lives are at stake, their health and wellness and well-being need to be supported. And like, we're the ones who are doing it to, to meta where it was like, here's this, again, it's like a little bit fun again. Here's this we're just trying to connect you to, to each other. We're just trying yeah. to do these things. And like Meta as a company, like whatever, say what we will about maybe what they're doing to the world. I think that their goals are pure. And the, the piece I was in was also like company account access. It's literally like signing you up, making it easy to sign up across different products. Yeah. Making it easy to deactivate if you're not happy. Okay. Just the rise and fall of that of just the impact that maybe has on the world or the need that the world has for it are different and I think what it taught me is I really maybe a balance again like you're gonna hear I just really like balancing things I like the balance of it's important for the world and it feels good but I miss working I do miss working with kids a lot working on Nickelodeon was such a gift because like kids content and kids programming is really valuable and really important but it also sometimes can fly under the radar because everyone's really into the glossiness of premium TV and ooh, like you want to go work on a, like an Amazon Prime show or you can work on a kid's show. I'd rather maybe work on the kid's show because you get to feel better about it. It's just fun. Yeah. It's fun and interesting. And a lot of the work we did was educational too. And so it was just like, that's a nice thing. Going back into that mindset, I think it would be really fun. But also whether I was working or not, it was like also it was really nice to talk to people about like, how to help them feel more confident in their team, in their career growth, in their professional growth. They're like trying to solve problems that seem hard to the individual, but are like, oh no, this can be solved with a quick conversation. This can be solved with, yeah. I used to joke, this could be solved with a pie. Usually pie problems to me are like, we have a lack of communication or we have a miscommunication. So it can be solved with offering up some friendship offering up some open communication and allowing that open communication to happen, even if it's going to surface conflict or even it's going to surface something that needs to be resolved. And I felt that when we worked together, it was a mixture of things that were just regular problems, like things that needed to be noodled at and puzzles that we could figure out mixed with some politics. So trying to navigate those two things that, but that's like, that's working to me. That's always what it is to work in a job, whether or not there's an HR team, like totally <laughs> learning how to like just navigate life. And to, when you're good at that, you can help the rest of the team get good at that. And you can actually start to become really efficient because you're just getting people talking and that's how, not everyone has that personality. I think that everyone can have that skill set, but not everyone values that skill set. So if you have the skill set to get people in a room together and get them on the same page, you can be really valuable. So that's the kind of thing I think I'm good at. And that's the kind of thing I like to do. For sure. Absolutely. Do you think there's big differences across smaller companies, bigger companies, or do you think it's more team dependent? So 
I do think it's team dependent, but I also think that smaller companies, it's almost like you've taken a larger company and you've just taken a microscope onto a particular team. I've seen some teams that are small, that are mighty, they get along really well. They didn't start out as friends. I've seen teams that started out as friends and they were just like super toxic, especially when new people would come in. I think that the through line, whether it was an international company, like my global companies, my domestic companies, startups, giant corporations, I think that the through line through all of it is just like, is there ego involved? Are we setting up a foundation of being collaborative or are we setting up a foundation of being like individual stars? Is it tennis or is it volleyball? Is it gymnastics? Is it performance-based, an individual performance-based, or is it group-based? And those differences and how the team thinks about that work, I think really drive the impact. That's really going to be the thing that changes one team's success to another. It's going to be the thing that makes the culture of that group. So teams that are very interested in individual impact and personal impact tend to be teams that have they really need the foundation and the support of an HR team of people who can like foster a lot of social socialness because they're not valuing collaboration in the same way teams that are like if the team is successful we are all successful if my direct report is successful I am successful like that kind of camaraderie I think will have a more natural in my opinion in my experience of a more natural success because group success yields I think bigger success individual success yields individual success that's just how it goes that's what it does and if you want to maximize for the largest number of people on your team you want to have group success you want to figure out how to make everyone feel they've contributed and not make it a personal impact but making it i feel good about what i did and i feel like i can own part of this there's some pretty outdated probably problematic kind of adages of so, I, so forgive me but it's right it's like They say success has a thousand parents, but failure is an orphan. And they've said that in different ways that are way more offensive. So I've just chosen the non-offensive ways (laughs) to say that. But success has a thousand parents because everybody wants to own success. But failure, nobody wants to take credit for because no one wants to know it's failed. But I actually think that intentional failure is a great thing because it's about experimentation. And if you're intentional with what you're doing and get a failed result, then you know how to fix it. Whereas... If you chance into success, you don't know how to repeat that. You don't know how to make that scalable. You don't know how to make that continued success or expanded success. I do think that it is somewhat team dependent, but I also tend to like large companies more because I feel like the, there's a safety net of, despite layoffs, et cetera, there's a safety net with large companies. So you're allowed to experiment more because they have deeper pockets. Thank Carter. That's fascinating. How do you think you can suss out the team culture without being part of it because I think so for many of these listeners we're in our 20s and figure out what the heck we like to do where we like to be the people we like to be around and I think it's sometimes difficult to tell what a team is like or a person is like until you jump into it and for people who aren't in a rotational yeah. program like me it's hard to just up and go right after a month maybe you've decided after a month it's not what you're looking for so how, yeah. how can you tell proactively And how have you been thinking about that now for your next role too? Yeah. So I think that I'm going to probably have two answers for that because there's the answer when you're desperate for a job. And then there's the answer when you're not desperate for a job. Because I think that when you're desperate for a job, and like desperate is maybe a very strong word to say 
I really need money or yeah. it's a very challenging job market and I'm just going to take the job that I'm offered. Sometimes I there are some people who I'm super impressed because they're like, I'm juggling a million job offers. It's the same people who get into a thousand colleges and are like, <laughs> oh, I'm choosing between a million colleges. I applied to one college and I got into that college and that was it. I did not feel I could devote the same. I was so motivated. I was, I wanted so much to go to Stanford. I applied to Stanford. I filled out half-heartedly, half filled out a couple of other applications, but the only application I cared about, the only one I devoted my time and energy to was the one I got into. And if I hadn't gotten in, I think, I don't know what I would have done. I probably would have panicked and maybe cried for an hour or two and then filled out the MIT and the Yale applications or wherever else <laughs> I did. But if I was like, I would have just been so beaten down. But the point is, I think that when it's hard to ask that question to your point, if you were just like, I'm just going to take the offer. But it's something that you can learn early on. And it will also help how long you're going to stay at a company. Because I think that the runway of time that you use to ramp up, that orientation period is exactly when you can start to understand. But before you get into the job, if you are in this place where you don't have to take the first job offered and you're in the interview process, one of the key things, and it's so funny because I used to not be great at this. And I was like, like when they're like, do you have any questions for me? Always have questions for them. In fact, this is the window. This is the perfect forum to ask these questions. It's the perfect forum to start to tease out in every level of interview, what a company's culture is like, because some companies try to wear their culture on their sleeve, but they don't always hit this particular aspect. And this particular aspect of being collaborative versus individual of like solely individual success to the distraction of anything else, right? Is I think there's a series of questions you can ask. Things like, what is your performance review process like? I like to sometimes outrageously ask directly, what does success look like here? Because it's such a great open-ended question. If you have a thoughtful hiring manager or interviewer that you're working with, it really helps them think that question out for themselves. And their answer is going to tell you a lot, especially if they're the hiring manager, because what success looks like to them is going to be what success has to look like to you. Because if they're helping you know exactly what it's going to take to, to be successful in that job or to get that job. And you can even do that second level of detail of what does success in this role look like to you? Or what does success at this company look like to you? And the nuance of that question is going to get you a different answer based on the person who you're asking it. When you're in the interview with the cross-functional partner who's working in a totally different department, but this is what success looks like at this company. That's when you start to really understand how these teams work together. You can also even ask questions. My other favorite question to ask in interviews are things like, how do you work with other departments and other functions here? Because that's going to help you understand. And you can also tell by the way they ask you questions of the things if they're asking you what you would do if there's a lot of conflict, you're like, okay, if they're asking me about this because this role may have conflict and they want to know how I would handle it. Or what do you do if people don't listen to you? And you're like, okay, they, like, I will never forget. I was in an interview for a job once and the last interview, it was with like one of the senior level people. And he just looks at me and he goes, okay, how would you handle a group of men as a woman? How would you handle a group of men who aren't listening to you. Like, how do you handle that right now? 
I was a little taken aback because no one had ever asked me a question like that. And no one had ever used my gender as a woman. And I just looked at him straight in the eye. And I was like, no one has ever not listened to me in a meeting. I don't really know what you're talking about. I just rejected the premise of the question. I did not get the job. But (laughs) I think what he was getting at was, because I was so taken aback, but what he was getting at was that they have a team of people who don't listen to each other. And I'm so glad I didn't get that job because I would have spent so much time having to wrangle these high egos and people who have a hard time listening. Now, interestingly, right, when you work at a startup and a place where, especially if you have senior executives who are very entrenched in the work, I think that you wind up having some of that as a mid-level or a lower level person, you do have to do some of that group moderation, which you wouldn't expect to do. Now, I was lucky, my experience in college we had a lot of group meetings. It's been like a bajillion years, so I don't remember the name <laughs> of the of like the offshoots that you'd have after your oh, sections. It was like group sections. That's what they were called. In yeah. group sections, there was only 10 people and everyone was so desperate to talk because you're just a bunch of nerds wanting to talk about this topic. It was like, everybody wants to talk about Tolstoy. How exciting is this? But you get really good, I think, at moderating that room, even if you're not the TA. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, I'm leading today's discussion. And you get good at calling on people and you bring snacks to the meeting and snacks always make everyone happy. And lo and behold, you've chilled out the room. You've really managed everybody's needs and you can have a really fruitful, interesting debate where people respect each other. And then you go to work and it doesn't always work that way. One, you can't (laughs) afford to buy a bag of snacks every single time you have a meeting because you have meetings a day. And some people are just not interested in your snacks, which is shocking because they are interested in being smart or interested in in you seeing how smart they are or you applauding how smart and how clever their solution was. You're there as your audience. That was my experience with a couple of the startups Mm. I was at, but not Mm. all. Yeah. I don't know. But I had the same thing in like the larger companies I worked at too. I think I had a very interesting moment when one of my bosses at one of my old companies looked at me and they're like, it doesn't always help to be the smartest person in the room. And what they were getting at was like, smart is not always the measure of success at a company and capability is, or creativity is, or just literally that role. Don't second guess the president of production. Don't second guess the researcher if they're present. There's other factors that are at play, which can be really hard. I think when you're starting to navigate from, even if you're just like really active in high school or high participant in college, like, Moving from that to regular business, I think it's like reminding yourself, like, what are we here to do? It's not always to to be heard, which is a bummer because I think that everybody's voices, that's why I like collaborative places. I like being heard and I like listening and I like the best idea coming from anywhere, which it will, because when you have a very diverse group of people from different backgrounds, from at different layers and different departments, all talking to try and sort out a problem what you get is the best fucking answer, the best solution to the problem. Not every company values that because they don't know to do that. I don't think they've had the experience. Maybe they haven't had a positive experience with collaborative work. Maybe they were the people who like, oh, group projects. No, they were the ones who had to do all the work in a group project. I'm like, I challenge that. I challenge that because at a business, we're all the ones who got shit done. You got hired because you're not the person who just sat and twiddled your thumbs. You are participating you are doing the work. And I think if you're 
trying to figure out if this is the right company for you before or after you're there, that's what you have to look out for is just how do people manage that conversation? How do they feel about credit versus blame? If, if there's a, a mistake, does someone own it or do they not? Is the project loved beloved or is it an orphan? Totally. And how do we help people get to a place where even if something's not working, you have to own it, you have to improve it. You have to be okay. You have to grab it and be like, we're going to learn from this and we're going to do better. The company is going to keep going. Whether or not we work there, whether or not those projects are successes or failures, actually, like the company exists to keep being a company. And I have seen many startups switch around and pivot. Everyone pivots. Oh, the, pro- the idea we've decided isn't working. Just pivot and make something else. The company exists to exist. And so I think that as a person who's joining that company, you're a steward of the company. Your name's not on the door. So it's okay to put a ton of effort and love and like excitement and energy and get the work done. And it's okay to go home. That's a lot of what I've been thinking about over the, my time working is like, both of those are okay. Cause it's like, I, I love my coworkers, but they're not my family. My family is my family. My coworkers don't need me to change their diapers. My coworkers <laughs> will in fact survive if I walk away. And I know that because I have walked away and my, those companies are doing very well. I know that because I got laid off and that company is still there, but my children need me. My children, they will always need me. So they always will now be the ones that have to come first when I'm no longer at work. That's okay. And my company should be able to still be functional, whether they will be enriched by my presence, but they will still function without my presence. Hmm. And I think that's the same for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. You want to share a little bit about your inspiration for going to Stanford and the different roles you've taken since then? How do you think that compares to some of your closest Stanford friends? You still keep in touch? Sure. Oh, my. I do. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I grew up in New York. I grew up on Long Island. And my sister went to Stanford. One of them did. The other one is went to the Cooper Union School of Fine Art. She's an incredible artist and tattoo artist. And my oldest sister, I went to visit her. It was the first campus I had ever been to. And it was just like, this is what a campus is. This is where I need to be. And so <laughs> it's a strange, funny thing. Cause I wonder if my first experience going to a college campus had been somewhere else, would I have been eager to go to yeah. that school instead? But Regardless, it was like this idea of going to this beautiful place where I wasn't allergic. Okay, I'm allergic to everything in New York. This is a silly thing, right? So like my hay fever, blah, blah, blah. Going to California, this beautiful, amazing campus with all of this excitement and energy that was really far away. So it was also this place where I could, as the third of five children, like really be on my own and grow as a person by myself without having anyone know me felt like a really tantalizing and wonderful thing. As I said, I applied early at the time. So this was, I applied in 1997. So early decision was pretty new. So it has a 30% acceptance rate. I don't know if I would get in now. (laughs) It's so hard to get in now. None of us would anywhere. (laughs) No, none of us. We would all just be starting our own colleges. But I went and I loved it. Of course I loved it. And I tried to just embrace all of the programs that I could find. So I 
my bachelor's is in symbolic systems, which is this interdisciplinary major. I'm also not very good at picking one thing. Here's this completely wonderful multidiscipline major that's computer science and psychology and philosophy and linguistics. And oh man, getting to just work on all of these amazing disciplines and focus on everything and nothing. I was really also just obsessed with the idea of film at the time. And even though they didn't offer a film program at the time or film studies major, I was like, I'm just going to take every film class that they have. And so I decided to put my concentration in aesthetics, in visual representation and, and the like symbolic part of semiology, which is the study of symbols, the study of signs, the study of imagery and images. And I got really nice, deep and dorky in that. And I got my co-terminal masters in media studies because I was like, I'm just going to get in and out. I finished my master's and my undergraduate in those four years. As I knew we were talking today, I was starting to think about this again. And fear was driving a little bit of my decision-making as I graduated. Like fear of the unknown, not really having any money, yeah. not having a job. I wish I had said to my parents something different, but they had offered to fly me home to New York. And I could live with them after graduation and go try to find a job in New York. And this was 2002. And... A lot of my friends were like, we're going to stick around here. We're going to look for jobs here. And literally all got jobs at Google in 2002. And I got a job as a production assistant at Nickelodeon in 2002. I don't regret a single decision since I've had a really exciting trajectory through television. I got to work in Germany. I got to work on all these amazing kids networks, but I also didn't quite make the bank. <laughs> I think a lot of my friends did just for me. Oh, they started Google News. Oh, they started this. Oh, they started that. And since then have right, bought and sold companies or like super bajillionaires and starting their own companies and writing fiction novels and just doing what they want as they've developed and changed the world through this incredible search tool. I have often thought about whether I would have enjoyed Google and I don't know. I think that there was something that working at Nickelodeon gave me and working at Viacom that was just a unique, a unique perspective that I've been able to bring to the rest of my career and the rest of my jobs as I've continued. Funnily enough, my master's helped me through television, but Symbolic Systems helped me through Conversa because so much of the work there, trying to define that chatbot and trying to like think about structured conversations and also, like we were leveraging a lot of emojis and as we're trying to work through images, if someone and accessibility and if someone isn't great at if they're not literate, like literate and suddenly literacy mattered and these different pieces mattered in a way that was really fascinating and fun to work on and also unlocked a little bit of that. I know what I'm I finally know what I'm talking about here. Like this is something I've been thinking about for at this point, probably two decades. That's amazing. And then being able to bring some of that to Meta, I think was really exciting. And I think that my next roles will continue to benefit just this intersection between how we perceive the world and not just individuals, but internationally and across different languages and the languages that we are trying to develop in glo globally because we suddenly all more or less have access to the same internet, but we have access to the same images and how those memes and how these emojis and how these photographs and visuals and visualizations all start to develop that narrative is fascinating and is really important because the more that people are online, the more they start to understand each other, 
but then it starts to show those gaps between the people who are online and the people who are not, or the people who are on this part of the internet versus this part of the internet. And you start to have really strong opinions about whether there should be walled gardens, whether you should be paying people astronomical amounts for APIs, or whether you should have it be free. Is it better to make money, be a business, or is it better to have open access and be a community? And a lot of people have really strong opinions about those things. Beautiful. Do you want to transition to a lightning round? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. What is one thing you wish everyone knew? I wish that everybody knew. Oh God, my lightning rounds are such slow lightnings. Everyone says that. Don't worry. (laughs) I wish that everybody knew a second language. Are you learning any now? Or are you? I studied Spanish in high school and I studied German when I lived in Germany. I also studied Italian for a hot minute just to ruin my Spanish because they're not (laughs) the same, but they're similar enough to make it very hard. So I've been trying to get back into, into learning Spanish again. Incredible. What's your way of learning? Twofold. So occasionally I'll hop into our Duolingo friend. I try to speak Spanish when I interact with different Spanish speakers in my life. And one of the things I do is I volunteer as a reader for Society for the Blind. And so I'm reading some of their Spanish language circulars weekly or their clients. Wow. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, it's been one of the parts I've been enjoying in Sao Paulo. I didn't realize how fun learning a language is. And I think mentally, probably the most difficult thing I've tried to learn. Like it's just our brain now, the older you get, it's not wired that. And so different than numbers, obviously, that come a little bit more naturally. But it has been fun. And people here, Brazilians, I think it's one of the best places to learn. I can't imagine... Brazilian, for example, going to US and New York and expecting people to help them. Americans are not like that, but here yes. it is. So it is wonderful. What are three things that you can't live without besides the necessities? Okay. I can't live without my phone, which is just a sad day. I can't live without coconut water, which is just so much nicer to drink <laughs> than Gatorade. I've set aside like obviously family and my children and my husband, because there's, there's too many of those. So these are just items yeah. I can't live without. If that's the way I'm going to interpret this question. And I can't live without my Libby reader. I've been really into reading. Libby is this app that's connected to my local library. And so at your fingertips, you can be part of the library, go to the library, take out a bunch of books without actually having to physically go. Yeah. Which is a shame. We have a beautiful library. It's just, it's can be hard to get to and hard to make time for it. I think those are the three things today. Tomorrow might be a different answer, but. (laughs) Amazing. Cool. And any content recommendations of any form? Yes. So I'll tell you what I think everyone should do. And I'll tell you what I think probably is not the most useful thing. Everybody should watch Bluey. Bluey is an animated show and it's an Australian show from ABC. If you are in the US, it's on Disney Plus. It's on a couple of different platforms across the world. It is this, even if you don't have children, I think it's this very warm, loving and smart little show about that models really nice family life. It models good parenting. It models what kids could be like. Um, It's very relatable. It's funny. And it's just across the board, like kind of, it's just fun. So that is like a very obvious answer as a parent. I'm super into that. I think that there is this really fun YouTube creator, like a food creator named Golden Gully, who I've been super excited about. He's this, I think he's a Pakistani Canadian creator and he has he one of the things he does a range of things so he'll like taste test foods and he'll just be like ah I like bought a snake fruit from my local grocery store let's taste this 
or he'll be like, oh, I found all these like fun Pringles flavors. Let's taste them. But then I'll also occasionally find himself going to Pakistan and going on this incredible adventure and talking to people and showing you the beauty and amazing topography, amazing views of these places while also talking to people and just navigating through his travels in a really interesting way. So I'm really excited about the kind of content he creates. And I think that he and a couple of other YouTubers or just like content creators are what they're gotten really good at is approaching everything with curiosity. They're not the kind of people who are doing pranks. They're not trying to get like street cred for being charitable. Like they're not trying to do anything other than just explore the world with a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of a higher film production quality. So it's fun to watch him. It's fun to listen to him and how he explores the world is just really interesting. And the YouTube algorithm definitely knows me for that. I recommend doing what I call YouTube rabbit holes. I'm pretty deep into watching YouTube because it's really easy to click through. And I like the idea of driving the content a little bit more than what you get from TikTok or Instagram reels. Although Instagram now, now knows me well enough that they'll be like, ah, here's a bunch of like food content and parenting content and fashion and the drag queen or two. And look at this pretty sewing thing. It's just, they know me a little too well. I'm very uncomfortable. But I love a YouTube rabbit hole. Taking what a YouTube rabbit hole would be starting at one video and just clicking through, not necessarily to get to the weird, clearly like computer generated stuff, but I like starting with a song from the 70s. Here's this disco song from the 70s. And oh, look, you're offering me some 80s punk? Sure. Oh, is it Croatian metal? Great. Like the next thing you know, your personal discovery engine of what you are interested in is so much better than any of the discovery engines that you're going to get even through, whether it's AI, whether it's through any of the feeds. Rather, let me say this. I don't think that my personal viewing history is a great indicator of what I'm going to, because I watch everything and I don't like everything. So just because I've watched it doesn't mean that I'm going to enjoy the next thing. And then the last, I think, round of maybe the thing you should not do, or you should do, but do what you will. You find the thing that you that you think of as your guilty pleasure and just dive deep if you can, whether it's, I really like swashbuckling romances <laughs> or I really like space opera, science fiction. That's just find it. And there's so many books right now. I'm trying to take a break from a lot of social media, mostly because I find it bad for my mental health. Like as again, as fun as it is to watch these just vague videos, I really go back to occasionally being like, where's my Libby app? I just want to read a bunch of really trashy books because the trash is going to come from what I'm reading on Reddit or what is being published. And I'm just reading 400 pages at a time. And maybe I'm going to do that for a little bit because it's just a different type of brain exercise. Okay. How are my lightning rounds are very <laughs> slow. No, I, I love like, it. Everyone has a different style of how they respond to questions and lightning rounds as well. And I don't have a preference. It's whoever you guys are. So that's amazing. <laughs> what are your plans for the rest of the day? The cars are getting detailed for the first time ever. I never knew what detailing was, but it's like they clean the inside and the outside. So, hey, here's this weird stain from when your now husband, but then boyfriend decided to take you to San Pedro to go get some Dungeness crab and the crabs got out. Like, <laughs> They'll clean that up. 
or here's this I don't know what that is but I it, it arrived when my daughter turned six months old and she was holding food so it could only be food <laughs> they just clean your car for you and that's a lovely thing and it's a bit of a luxury so that's happening um mm-hmm. probably I need to do a food shop uh I need to pump so my son is still exclusively breastfed and when he's in daycare I'll pump so that he can still have milk even though I'm not there and we kind of freeze it and hand it to him that's whole part of weird human anatomy I wasn't prepared for as a parent and probably clean up a little bit like we just we came back from the beach a couple weekends ago my daughter's three birthday party we're going to New York in a couple months or a couple weeks I should say it's like someone took a boggle when like you shake like you have that game someone like just boggled my house a little bit and (laughs) I have to tap down all of the cubes and make sure it actually becomes a thing (laughs) <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to devote today and, and the rest mm-hmm. of the week to. Also debating whether it's feasible to look for jobs, update the resume, network with people in meaningful ways, and, and just trying to figure out and stay connected to what's happening in, I want to say business, but that doesn't, that feels a little bit broad. Yeah, what's happening in the world. So I understand, should I bother looking for a job this week or should I look for a job <laughs> in two weeks? Because yeah. if no one's hiring right now, it's not worth it. True. Boom. Sounds like a packed day. I will let you get going, but this was wonderful catching up and seeing you again. Shannon, it's been such a pleasure. Although I didn't get the opportunity to ask you a single question and I have many, so we may have (laughs) to do a follow-up. I am very excited for you to be in Sao Paulo and I'm really happy that you're enjoying your experience there. We will chat soon again at some point. Good luck with all the house craziness and safe travels in a couple of weeks as well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Amazing. Take care. Bye. Cheers. I'll see you in the next episode of Let the Dogs Out, a podcast by Chat Life with cool people doing awesome things.